definitely not shut up and dribble. The champ is here. I must be the greatest. The champ is here. I'm going to continue to stand with the people. The champ is here. I will I'm not, not lose. lose. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with we. My name is EJ, and I got my man. MH. He is a DB of the show, and we are Black in Sports, giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here covering the best professionals in the game and in the boardroom, laughing at all, covering it all while providing a platform to be heard. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into it and welcome our guests. All right, so former professional volleyball player, mm-hmm. all right, <laughs> she is a connector, opens doors to creating meaningful relationships. She's a shero, a defender of diversity, and now currently she holds the role as a senior team and talent advisor for the NBA. So please, please, let's clap it up for Nicole Rickenrider. Welcome, 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 Nicole. How are you doing? All right, I'm, so you good? I'm awesome. That was a great like, introduction. That was stellar. <laughs> let's go. So how we start the show with our guests is we ask you a shoot your shot question. So, you know, coming from the NBA, shoot your shot question. This is definitely good for you. It could have been um, something in your past, something current, something, a life lesson that you learned, but it's where you shot your shot, bet on yourself and went for it all. Go. Oh, wow. On the spot questions. Let's see if my brain's working. Um, I mean, I think back to, you know, before I was actively shooting my shot and by that, like, I feel you get a little more confident as you're in the business in the world to to just take those chances and go for it. Um, so I have uh, I'm trying to think what I what I want to go with here. Um, if something's not coming to mind, I mean, I feel like the buzzer already expired. Do I, like... uh, I want you to say that EJ say that uh, that sound effect for a drop. That was dope. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you came a drop on our show. Let's go. Yeah, circle back. I mean, Absolutely. I don't know. I think of like, honestly, like, I'm trying to think of something that was like awesome, fantastic. I've met a lot of like awesome people in, in roles. And early on, I think I got to take it back to like undergrad still in school, knew I wanted to be in sports, okay, but didn't know what that meant. I didn't go get my degree or master's where they teach you what the industry is, but I ended up at a convention that teach you how to be an agent at the NFL Combine mm-hmm. um, my senior year of college, and I literally went, talked a girlfriend into going with me. I think she was there for other reasons. I was there on the business side, um, <laughs> and I literally like worked the room around like NFL scouts, like coaches, and just made like all these connections just by putting myself out there. Right. That was like probably my first real opportunity to, to just network in general. Um, and looking back, like kind of proud of myself for doing that now. Um, so let's go with that. I got there. See, I got there. there. Go. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. So Nicole, where did uh, your love for sports start? Um, I think it was probably just being an athlete my entire life and to really like level set that I played sports starting probably age four or five T-ball. Um, and you probably can't tell now I'm sitting down, but I'm 5'11", which in the grand scheme is kind of short for the, the sports I played, but I was always like taller than the boys, definitely taller than the girls and ha- have some athletic genes. 
So it started um, at a very young age. And when I tell you I played sports um, all the way up to retiring from playing professionally, every everything you can name, I was fortunate to have parents that encouraged me to be involved, my siblings to be involved. Um, and thus it's kind of ingrained in me, you know what I mean? Like uh, even back to the school, right. When I just told you about that networking story, I don't know what I wanted to do, but I was like, I want to work in sports and, um, I'm, it's just part of who I am. Like, um, so I still my don't know what I want to do. So <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Right. Yeah. Literally somebody asked me that recently, actually, it was my boss who asked me that recently. So you should probably have better answers prepared for that. But I was like, I was like, does it have to be like, I was like, I can sprinkle some things on like what I'm interested in what I like, but I still don't have that like pinnacle role. Um, and I think I've learned and I tell people that I like intern, mentee or mentees all the time. I'm like, you will learn what you don't want to do before you figure out what you do want to do. So hmm. keep that in mind and take things in stride and grow. Um, We'll probably get into like my actual background and career, which you'll see I've made some pivots and turns and, and on the way. But that's just as important though, right? Like knowing what you don't want to do. So so starting off, um, born Cincinnati, Ohio? Dayton, Ohio, but yes, the great state of Ohio. And if you know me, you know I say that often and anywhere. Um, rep OH well and proud and strong. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. this might be where we go left do you want to dig into that a little bit not not at all not at all i was you know i wasn't born in this country so i don't i don't know about those <laughs> where did you hold on i feel as though we where did you go to school why is this such a, a trigger for you it's not it's not i know ej was feeling he's starting to smile i know he's got ohio roots so that's all that was i was kind of picking on ej a little bit my bad a little bit just a little, little bit a little, little bit so you play so okay before we get into the volleyball because you're like super everything all yeah. world in volleyball mm -hmm. you said other sports what was like the second or the runner-up or close sports was it hoop soccer like was it baseball from the t-ball what was number two uh well i hate running so it wasn't basketball <laughs> Um, it was softball though. And I actually played softball first. So the T-ball evolved transition into softball, right? I literally played, um, softball T-ball till my eighth grade year in middle school. So quit right before high school when, you know, like kind of picks up more. Right. And it, like that was probably my first experience of being burnout. And, um, I mean, However, it was directly tied to, I think, my coaches who were pushing us to unfun places to be in, right? Like, I mean, I was on all the travel teams, um, you know, I was fortunate to be on multiple all-star teams. I played in World Series. Um, and and then we all were just like driven miserable because of the coaches who ended up being brothers-in-law, brothers-in-law. I, I don't know like what they were drinking, but they were, they, you would have thought like this was their like chance to live out, you know, their Good career. Genius, yeah. And it was, it probably was. <laughs> when I tell you like we had the best talent. So this is when I was living in, in Florida. I've moved here a lot too. So we had some, you know, dang good talent from all across the state to how they built a team. And multiple of us were like, we're out, peace, quit, not playing last year. So that's kind of sad, but that's when I picked up like the elite volleyball and got more tied into to VB. 
So did you, you, you were playing volleyball before eighth grade, right? Or did you start in eighth grade? I started in sixth grade volleyball. Okay. Yeah. It's still incredible though, for, you know, the heights that you reached in the sport and nowadays, you know, kids kind of specialize yeah. pretty early in life, right? Uh, make those decisions, what they want to do. So what drew you to volleyball and I guess, how'd you, you know, exceed so quickly at it? I think the first thing that drew me to volleyball was my mom played and quite opposite of me. She's like a five, three little person. Um, she had the, uh, what's that called? The different uniform? What's that position? The, uh, well, here you're just making us date all of us. Like the libero position is what you're referring yeah. to. So I appreciate yeah. knowing that. That didn't come into fruition until like my sophomore year of high school. So oh, wow. I didn't know that. role. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a, it's wow. not a deep ingrained thing. Yeah. Look at that learning. Yeah, learning. I appreciate that. Exactly. So again, like, you know, it was kind of one of those things like, oh, I think I'm interested. Let's try volleyball. My mom played. And I really do think that was like the initial interest. She'd mm -hmm. also played um, basketball. So it can attribute like a lot of my athletic abilities to her. <clears throat> um, and, you know, made the team as a tall, gangly six-year-old who had no ball control, no technical skills. Like at times you really would have been like, we think there's something in there, but it was definitely an evolution to, to get to the levels that, you know, I ended up playing. Well then definite rocket ship, man. So like what, what was the process? So you're, you're getting good. You're, you're on these travel teams, you know, you're on the junior Olympics and things like that. What was that process or, or um, kind of recruiting process? We always ask a lot of people, like, because how did you ultimately end up at Ohio State, right? Because that was your first choice before where you graduated. Yeah. First of all, can I just pause and say I really appreciate the research that you all have done. And for, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners know this, but I have volunteered very little about my background and I might have you all like, you know, write future bios or my obituary someday. But um, <laughs> so thanks for, I appreciate that. Um, and I, so playing in like school, right? Like middle uh -huh. school and then transitioned into getting more competitive. And I think I started getting like recruited to play competitively. And by that in volleyball, you have club teams would be, would be the same as like your AAU volleyball or excuse me, AAU basketball competitions. Yep. So I started playing club, um, my freshman year of high school, and from there, like, you know, I'm obviously training, getting more repetition, more practice consistently. Um, and thus I was developing faster and people were noticing me. Um, I went from like playing my age level to getting moved up within my club, even to like, you know, I don't know, the 14s team. Um, and then when you're playing around more competitive competition, naturally you're going to, you know, rise to that. So um, I was then... The team I chose to play for was with the sense that I wanted to increase my chances of making my high school team. Um, and looking back, right, in the most humble way, obviously, like, it's kind of laughable now considering, like, all the, th the doors that were open that first year. And I was like, I don't think I want to make the team, right? Um, but my second year playing, like, I had the opportunity to play with the IT club in town and that was tampa bay junior shout out um and they're a national the club. Home. okay yeah i have florida ties too like i'm claim midwest been through pennsylvania we can we have a long time we'll probably get to all of those things <laughs> um so that like we're going to national competitions i mean the club the coach 
literally the teams in place to win nationals and junior Olympics every year. That was the intention. So talk about going from like a humble place. Oh, you're good to being around the best athletes in the city from another like all collected team where these girls are competitive as hell. And like, you, you know, don't hit this ball out. We got to win this point, I think. So it was like mindset, growth. Pressure. Uh, yeah, pressure. Like, so that's when I was like, really got good. So you have to have a transition in high school then from Florida to Ohio. Yeah. How was that? How was that part of it for you? Oh, it was horrible. I mean, <laughs> think about yes. it, right? You're a sophomore in high school going into your junior year. Um, and obviously I go hard for Ohio now and that's where my family is, was like all born there. Um, but it was hard. <laughs> I, I legitimately think I went through like a bout of depression. First of all, you're in Florida, like think about this weather, atmosphere, warmth, and then you transition to <clears throat> the great state of Ohio where um, <laughs> during winter the vigor of the great state of ohio changed yeah. how we start lowercase t yeah it's once you start recalling that but no that's a hard transition and like Correct. not only that you're transitioning you know climate culture and then you're going to school with that pressure of being a what they call what, what we call student athletes right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah transferring i mean literally like the sports is what saved me in that too. Um, you know, I was already, I didn't completely answer your question before MH, but what I was trying to allude to is that high level of competition and the clubs I was associated with brought natural visibility to college coaches and the tournaments we're playing at, they flock to recruit from and just see large amounts of teams competing at one time. Um, and I got my first recruitment letter my freshman year of high school from the University of Florida. So it kind of, you know, set off from there, right, until I decided where I wanted to go. Um, thus, when the world caught wind that I was moving from Florida to Ohio, you know, I had to decide where I was going to go to school. I had to decide where I was going to play a club there. And we sh we shocked, right? Like, my, my parents were supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Like, well, the private schools were the super competitive in Cincinnati, like very well known for volleyball, the Ursulas, the Ursulines, you probably heard these names. Um, and, you know, the, the Mount Notre Dames. Um, but I, I personally decided with my parents, like, I don't know that I can uproot my entire life, move from Florida to Ohio, and then also go from a co-ed school to a private school at the same time. So I was like one disruptor at a time here, please. Um, <laughs> And then I ended up playing with all those girls in club, obviously, right? So my my school, public school experience is one thing, but I still picked up and competed with the best of the best in our off seasons. Yeah, talk about really quick that relationship and the communication, the lines of communication between uh, a budding star athlete and their parents, because everybody kind of wants to get to the top. You know, sometimes in youth sports, the parents, as you mentioned earlier, the coaches kind of be can be overbearing and kind of burn the athlete out. So that open line of communication, how did that work with your family? And, and obviously you succeeded. So somebody did something right. Yeah. And I still look back and wonder how sometimes um, because my parents, um, they went to college, but they were not 
elite competitive athletes, right? Like they didn't play or get recruited at higher levels. They were learning with me to go through that process. Um, and I guess fortunately, like a lot of times your high school is typically involved because at first glance, they're communicating with your school to get in contact with you. Um, and at some point they get home addresses, which is weird. Like you just get like, uh, I'm talking trash bags of like college letters that you, I'm obviously very fortunate and blessed. It is even beyond have been, let's just give the caveat old and retired now, um, <laughs> on individuals radars. Um, but it was a lot, it was super overwhelming and it's a lot of pressure, right? And if you're not tuned in or even have any understanding on how to gauge, make decisions, like I wasn't tracking college teams and conferences and coaches and their backgrounds, like it's a huge decision, right? Um, so I think it kind of, <laughs> we did college visits, you know, kind of felt out the vibes, had interests on general areas, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm a field person, like who I'm connecting with from a relationship standpoint, because the volleyball is going to work itself out, right? Like I can do that and play anywhere. Um, but I, it was important for me to also be close to home near my parents and for my family to come to games. Um, I'm the oldest of four kids. So there's six people in my family and it's, it was super interesting because the first time around and then the second time around when I transferred, I was looking local Big Ten schools and then like the West Coast. So like obviously complete opposite geographics Um, and actually chose Ohio State over UCLA the first time around. And there were some moments in times where I was like, did I do the right thing? (laughs) Um, But honestly, I always say like I, I, I made the move after two years at Ohio State and we can talk about that a, a little more, like what led yeah. to those decisions um, to Kentucky um, and absolutely bleed the Lou down. So I had the Big Ten experience and the SEC experience. And I always say like transferring to UK was one of the best decisions I've ever made in life. Um, I think it's was that? Uh, it, it set me up for a ton of things that I would attribute to that experience today. So um, stepping back to the Ohio State experience, which again, Ohioan, right? A lot of family ties, not a not a better school by way of traditions and especially from a, a sports standpoint, right? Um, and I would have loved to have graduated from there, but mm-hmm. I was there to play volleyball, you know? And by that, like, I definitely was there to get my education. However, 80% of my time was rotating around practice, weights, training, travel. Um, and that's how you attribute all your time. So if you are in a place where your livelihood is um, lessening or not positive, or you're just like unhappy and depressed, which I was experiencing, um, I also lost my entire freshman season as the first play of my freshman year not the first play, first game of my freshman year, match game, came down, landed on a player on the other side of the net and completely tricked off my ankle um, and ended up losing the entire season in which it wasn't until after off season we determined um, through an MRI that I had a torn tendon and torn ligament. So that was surgery um, and didn't, didn't increase, um, you know, the experience I had there. 
which in the grand scheme, like all attributed to the decision to, to make a shift. No pain, That's, no pain. You know, you're like I, accolades, the surgeries that I need a couple surgeries right now. I mean, I'm pretty sure of it. <laughs> But that's all part of the process, right? Like people don't understand, you know, it's, it is the injuries. It is the mental pre preparation and like, you know, staying on top of that. And like, how do you handle that? And you're, you're a young adult, you know, yeah. getting treated like an adult in this space yeah. where, you know, are these coaches or the infrastructure really there to keep you safe? So that's a definite, definite learning experience. So taking it from your college days and getting kind of more into your career, um, it was funny, just I didn't know you started off in the sales track. So I, you know, because like our first when we met, we were, it was our Learfield days. Mm -hmm. So by the time you were at Learfield, you were in a different role. So how how did you start out like in sales, or what made sales like the first role um, that you jumped into? Uh, that's a great question because once again, going back to I want to work in sports, but I have no idea what that means. Um, I was out the gate. Um, you know, very, very tied to getting my foot in the door. And I'm even going to take a step back to answer your question where um, I played overseas. And when I hung that up, I saw a year of school to finish. And it was during that year, I'd obviously finished my eligibility. So I didn't have practice and the same demands of competing on my schedule day to day. But I looked up and was like, I have no work experience on my resume. How am I going to get a job? Um, and it was during that time in parallel to finishing school that I started applying to multiple internships, you know, lockdown um, an annual internship with the athletic department, knowing once again, like what I wanted the track to be, but not sure how to get there. I was literally the sports information director for the track and field team in partnership with another student at UK. That's a pretty awesome experience to put on your yeah. resume, right? right um, yes, because I went, went to school to get my degree in integrated strategic communications with a PR focus. So I was like, how can I use this in sports? And yeah. that's what it is. Like your SID, your media relations. Um, and I also did, you know, football season, basketball season, you name it, just the supporting aspects um, around those sports as a student worker. Mm -hmm. But it's also during that time that I learned that I don't want to be an SID and work in media <laughs> relations. Um, so that back kind to, of <laughs> back to learning what you don't want to do is just as important, right? Example A, exactly. Um, so, you know, a lot of work. I mean, I interned with the American Volleyball Coaches Association. Obviously, their great relationship there, and they happen to be locally headquartered in Lexington. Like, go figure. Um, I worked for an arena football team that does obviously doesn't exist anymore. Like, it's called the um, the Horsemen in Lexington. That was that was an absolute you know what show. Yeah. Um, it doesn't exist. It's irrelevant. It doesn't exist. It was an amazing experience for somebody out of school to put on their resume. <laughs> but minor league sports, like that's the robust nature of getting to wear multiple hats, right? They may or may not be organized the same color or the same team. Who knows? Um, <laughs> or just paying the entire staff. I mean, you have stories you hear like that as well. So 
Yeah, exactly. And you'll have to, I'm giving you all the backstory to take you to a question that I don't even remember. So yeah, just so how you got into sales, right? Cause like you said, you had your, your comms major and then like, okay, yeah. you know, you, you were doing this route, like in the communication slash PR track, but then ultimately I see like you did sales for the Cincinnati Bengals being Ohio girl and that being your team. Like, like it's unique. It's a great opportunity, but it's not necessarily in like the route, you know, as a communications marketing person. Right. So yeah. how you ended up there and just what was the overall experience working for your hometown team at that point? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So thank you for bringing me back to earth where I all those pieces were like very conducive to me going to market to sell myself um, to finally get a job. And the one thing I did know is that I wanted to like focus on, on the pros um, and started going to, you know, internships and I'm sorry, career fairs and opportunities like driving to Indiana, you name it. Um, and the reason I started in sales is because that's multiple entry level opportunities to just get in the door. And because I wasn't necessarily focused on a particular function, mm -hmm. that sounded amazing to me. Like, I can work in the NFL for my hometown team. And to your point, EJ, I literally like, I don't know how long it took to stop, like just Kool-Aid smile walking through the hallways of the organization. <laughs> Cause I literally would be like, I work for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, it was awesome. I mean, like what a dream, right? My absolute hometown team. Um, I think my parent family had season tickets already to games um, and now I'm like slinging tickets left and right. And, you know, one of the biggest brands in the state, um, in the NFL. So I honestly jumped at an opportunity that came to me through a networking lunch with a Bengals sales leader who wasn't even hiring at the time. Um, but that opportunity ended up being my interview per se. And of all the times to get hired to sell tickets, it was during the 2011 NFL lockout. So, oh, oh wow, mm -hmm. that's a shoot your shot right there. <laughs> yeah, interview when they're not hiring during the NFL lockout, man, that's definitely a shoot your shot right there. Yeah, I guess. So, I got I gotta press pause real quick though, because you said biggest brands, and I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a brand person. Well, we, we named the Cincinnati Bengals, but somehow I didn't hear the Dallas Cowboys. So I don't I don't know how the Cincinnati Bengals and the Dallas Cowboys are on the same level. Okay, MH. All right. <laughs> now, I, now I see the bias coming out. And you know, I'm gonna let that slide as someone who's lived in Dallas for the last five years and Correct. rooted for the Cowboys as a child and more so bet my mom um against teams they would play and came out on the winning side a few times to have her make my bed for a week. So I'm just going to let you have the Cowboys um, piece there. And I'm not a, not a, I'm impartial is what I would say. All good. All good. So uh, about sales and I kind of want to touch on just a lot of great people in the sports industry start in sales and they kind of yeah. venture out to a lot of different things. So what about it sales um, that help you exceed into other things that you're doing now in your career? That is a great question um, because sales is, is one of those things that I think is similar to like serving and waiting tables. They always say everybody should do that. Um, once again, you learn very quickly if that's your skill set or your gift or not. Uh, but the things that translate most on the sales side, I mean, I think there's a lot of um, consistency needed in your activity and that work. I think you are generally 
and a inside and outside responsibility where you obviously you're internally meeting goals, but you're externally working with client customers and in a sales world, right? Like you could be selling different things depending on the app, um, the asset that you're focused on. So I had the opportunity to sell um, the entire menu at the Bengals and the three different roles I held over that time, uh, starting with the inside sales um, and then kind of transitioning into seasons and groups and then ended out with the um, premium club seating suites. So just the evolution of how you talk to those client bases differently based on how they're utilizing the assets, right? To for their own businesses or their own clients, or if it's just like a family who is utilizing, you know, the little money they have for entertainment year over year to enjoy um, a pastime of theirs, maybe a family tradition. Um, I think just really getting to see sports and the power of that is something that sales can do for you. Um, and it also teaches like sheer tenacity, the ability to hear no and not get your feelings hurt or be on the front lines and have people curse you out for the ownership or a Monday <laughs> after a loss, right? Like you, you just take it all. It's just your learn. fault, right? Like <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And then the highs on the opposite side and how it like switches like that. So yeah, that was a lot, but I mean, sales is a heck of a thing to be able to do and individuals that are good at it. I know a lot of people that are dang good at it. They don't even like it. Um, but it's just, you know, tied to understanding how to reach people and achieve their needs and, and do it in an authentic way that typically lends to success. And I like how you said that it's also like a part of service, right? Like getting ingrained to that's a major like cog in the wheel of everything it takes, right? For an organization. Cause there's, you know, there's so many roles that make an organization go in a sports role and, you know, a sales is a serviceable part of that. So I like that. So let's get into your current role. Can you explain to us, you know, how you got to the NBA, but just tell us what do you do in your current role? Yes, buckle up because it's a tentacle of things. But um, the highest level as a, um, I, I work on the NBA's HR team. Um, obviously quite a pivot from selling tickets at the Bengals. And um, I work on a, a function that is actually focused externally around the 30 team portfolio. So it's almost a consultative position where I'm helping extend best practices um, support and filling gaps for teams that might not have super robust HR departments um, mm -hmm. and bringing together the community of the teams to cross-share, facilitate resources, um, and just lead those community conversations to help us all get better, more or less. Um, and then the other piece of that, or two other pieces of that, um, some are tied to the learning and development and talent management service model for those teams, where I'm helping extend ways to retain and advance our clients. And by that employees, not clients, and that's all employees, right? Not just the traditional ones that get all the opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and then I am responsible for our early to mid career programming tied to the league's diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives to bring in more talent, people of color, women, and place them across the team portfolio. So whether or not it sounds like it, all that is intertwined and related. Um, and I just kind of approach it through a DNI lens and all aspects of what we do. That's there you go. <laughs> MHR on mute. 
<laughs> my bad. Sorry, my, my daughter was screaming. But so many, <laughs> so many, uh, so many questions. And before I ask any questions, I just want to say thank you and salute you for what you do. Uh, because what you hit on the last part of your answer is kind of interesting to me is about you know getting from you know the entry level to the kind of mid career to the the VP and the executive role and how we make that step as people that are uh, of color or, or, or women in, in general. So uh, salute you for that. But in the process of that, you know, um, I, I see that's a passion of yours. Um, how does that work for you? I'm not, without getting into too much in the details, but, you know, um, how's that process for you and just kind of elevating those um, that are also qualified for those positions that don't traditionally get those? Yeah, um, I it's interesting because it was a passion before it was popular. Right. And to see it come more to fruition is obviously encouraging. And at the same time, it's, this is hard work. Um, it's not quick work and, you know, it can be exhaustive at times. However, stepping into an organization like the MBA who literally has, you know, inclusive initiatives intertwined into our culture and is very vocal and public about the things we are doing to help give back to the community and just elevate, you know, black people in general um, into positions of leadership helps. Um, and it's noticeable. Um, and I had a lot of aha moments right out the gate, starting with orientation. Um, all amazing, positive aha moments where I told people for a while, I'm like, I'm just trying to hold on to this cloud nine because, you know, the new car smell always wears off at some point. <laughs> um, but it's been great. And I sometimes have to like, it's my every day. And by that, to be specific, right? Like my, the way I articulated what I wanted to do next in my job and career was to be able to leverage everything I'd done. Um, however, approach it with a diversity, equity, inclusion lens in mind, because that's how business should be gone about anyways, right? Like from a strategic business plan, you don't just take DNI off the shelf and say, today we're going to have this particular piece of DNI training, right? Like this should be intertwined into every aspect, function, leadership, onboarding, training, and it's just who you are as an organization. So I was like, I would love to be in a role where I can, you know, go to market with the sales team, go to market with the sponsorship sales team, um, you know, look at the account management and ticket team on the client management um, staff, and then, you know, take the obvious HR leaders, the talent acquisition teams, and really determine how every layer and processes that they're doing and how we're going to market, the conversations we're having are just mm -hmm. all, um, you know, in an educated way where we're on the same page despite the experiences we have, despite how we see the world, despite how the, the world sees us, but like helping get everybody on the same page to, to really like intertwine the same inclusive environment together, right? Um, and this is me getting closer to that goal and in a position that's like allowing me to do just that. Um, and thus all those different things that I named, all right? Like I'm leveraging different tools all the time of past experiences that I've had. That's amazing. That's super dope. And I mean, a uh, big, big year for uh, the NBA, 75th year. So I know like just kind of leading out, there has to be great energy. Um, one of the things that I saw that uh, they were carrying on uh, bits of it or just growing it 
uh, the partnership that the, the league is doing with the HBCUs. Yeah. Um, can you touch on just some of the things that they're doing? Um, I just think it's awesome. Yes. And this is a very large partnership initiative that has back to the, what I said before, multiple stakeholders, um, departments, functions within the league, like super intertwined, ingrained with a hand in executing and contributing to this. And I'm excited to be a part of that, but it's, I feel like it's in such a, it's in such a big way, but still such a small way um, compared to all the other awesome stuff. Like I joined cause and I'm hearing about the all-star activations that are in the mix to bring to life and how we're having a classic, right. And like bringing the bands in and that got me kind of excited and took me back to like my sponsorship sales days. Um, I'm I'm a little further away from that now, obviously in some of the work I do. So I was like, Oh, I remember this. Um, but I am I'm getting to um, also work directly with what will be um, the HBCU fellowship program. And this is something that um, you can expect to hear more about uh, and have opportunities to direct prior current HBCU students and um, early career graduates of HBCU programs to go and attend a development programs here at the MBA um, and which, you know, similar goals to help. Um, get them exposure, um, get them ready and skills and functions to help them um, streamline to job and career opportunities. And it's ongoing commitment that's being led by our NBA foundation and obviously tapping into all hands on deck as this is an initiative that is very close to the NBA in all aspects of what we do. Um, And thus it's very important to our leadership. And as we know, leadership drives the ship. And, um, you know, fortunate to have that trickle down and really see the commitment go through all levels of the organization um, to contribute to that. So look for more to come and for it to be a continuation. Um, But it's, yeah, big time. We're touching all 107 HBCUs. And I mean, I'm still I'm going to be taking it in with y'all. Right. Like, oh, we did that too. (laughs) Yeah. So you started, and correct me if I'm wrong, you started your new position just kind of in mid-pandemic, right? So how was that experience for you? I am in month seven, which I thought it was just me, but we definitely have NBA years where that could be like three or four years (laughs) in in life. Um, You know, we move quick, you jump in fast, things are constantly on the go, which I love. Um, And now that I'm ramped up, right, it seems a little less chaotic. Um, but I had concerns. I started working remotely in a new organization where, you know, I had some benefits in, um, having networked with my boss and teammate in the past. So I think that helped just have some familiarity and relationship, um, to kind of merge into my new job and role. However, right. Like, there are still hundreds of people that I haven't met. Um, and we have roles, departments, functions that I never dreamed of before. So check back with me in like two years and I <laughs> might know like half the things about us. But I, I, one thing I was surprised, and I think it's because I had already been working remotely, is that wasn't that wasn't completely an abrupt or hard transition Um and that's like, I don't, I haven't seen that as a barrier, not to mention, right. I talked a lot about my position where my client base is the teams. So I will always be working virtually with them unless I'm on the road meeting in person. Um, so 
you know, that'll be a norm as well and won't be in a change even as we're back in the office. That's good stuff. And then working with the teams that have, you know, 30 different markets and they have 30 different kind of goals as well for their own individual markets. Uh, and you come in from, you know, New York and, and work with them and kind of coordinate some best practices. You know, how is that in your relationship building and building those 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 skills with those uh, HR departments? Yeah, that is you're nailing, nailing the nail on the head, hitting the nail on the head um, because they are 30 different businesses and different leadership franchise owners some are you know a 200 person organization um where that's the ownership's one business others are a part of ownership groups and entities that have WNBA teams nhl teams minor league teams <clears throat> underneath those umbrellas so the decisions they're making um you know look different because they transcend and impact more people and that is one thing that obviously keeps my job interesting is there's no yeah. uniformity. Right. <laughs> and also a primary challenge. And our <laughs> vendors and like tech, tech partners we bring in, and I'm like, you should just let that go and hope <laughs> let that sail. Um, but honestly, it's still like working and connecting with people, right? And building relationships. And and my my prior role at Learfield, I was in a um, a national recruiting role where my hiring managers and my clients were all across the country as well. So that's one of my favorite pieces. Um, and that was obviously a natural transition for me too, just building a, a client base that's national. Um, I am very excited to get to meet these people in person, <coughs> excuse me, and kind of strengthen those relationships because there's nothing like that in-person interaction. Um, but I've still, you know, like I love the teams, obviously like those are my people and we work directly with the HR leaders and staff, um, HR talent acquisition and the learning and development primarily. And as you can imagine, they've, you know, really borne a lot of the burden the past year and a half, two years in the pandemic. Um, so it's definitely a community and a family among us as we're all kind of in it together. Wow. It's a lot. MH, you ready to hit them with the quick hits? Yeah, Nicole. So these are just a couple quick questions uh, so our, our listeners can kind of learn a little bit more about you outside of uh, the questions that we've already asked. So um, we'll start it easy. SEC or Big Ten? SEC. I believe blue. Let's come on. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, top five. This might be a little challenging, but top five favorite movies are yeah, five favorite movies. Oh my gosh, you're gonna bring out my soft side. Um, something's got to give. The holiday. Um, Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I'm a very holiday focused person. Not to mention, I'll just throw this caveat out: like, I do not retain song names, artist names, movie names. So the fact that I have these should be impressive. <laughs> um, you know, there's probably some real ones out there too. Or like more, I like action movies too, but I'm definitely a rom-com fan, so I'll, I'll leave it with that. Okay, Hocus Pocus. Nice. nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ideal weekend. Yeah, ideal weekend. What would be an ideal weekend for you? Ideal weekend, I am um, catching the flight out of town. Yeah, on an island somewhere. <laughs> uh, Caribbean treats me very well, yes. Um, however... I'm here for any place that I haven't been before, and I'm definitely eating and drinking my way through the local cuisine. Okay. 
best birthday that you've had? Ooh, now now that can attribute uh, uh, back to to EJ's point right there. <laughs> um, I spent this my thirty first birthday, thirty fifth birthday, dang, um, this last year in Curacao with my girls. And shout out to all of them and the hostess with the most um, on an amazing private boat in clear blue water on a private island. So it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. Does not. Um, <laughs> favorite, and this could be in sports or just in history in, in general, just but favorite historical figure. Favorite historical figure. Um, ugh, here we go again. I just told you about it, you know, retention of names. Um, I mean, I don't want to, I'm just going to go with it. I I think it's the most recent movie that gave me like an even bigger respect. I don't know. I go back and forth. And these are common names that everybody knows, right? Like between Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks. I recently learned more about both of them. Like one through the movie that just came out about Harriet Tubman, which blew my mind. And then went through a recent diversity training that's like anti-racism, like really getting in the deep roots of things and just learning more about Rosa as well. Um, and the the sheer like strategic nature in which they did things, just not by accident. Um, just like putting that in place time and day, what that would take, right? Like shooting your shot, going for things. Like it's just mind blowing to try to put yourself in that position. And if you'd actually have the ability, strength, power, confidence to do the same. So I'll go with them. Love it. And then last one, I have a skill that you wish you would have. Singing. I'm horrible. And I always say, look, like I can't get athletic abilities and like vocals, but I love to sing. You don't want me to sing though. <laughs> Be flat. That's all I got, EJ. That's what's up, man. So all right, let's jump into... Um, the, the winner focus pocus. I gotta, I mean, I gotta clap for you on that. All That's right. that, in, in all of our movies, we've not gotten hocus pocus. So. <laughs> we're straight up a Halloween, you know. Yeah. Hey, let's go. <laughs> so, uh, jumping into the winner's circle, um, honored and excited to have you talk about this for your platform. Um, so you want to talk about uh, BSP Black Sports Professionals, and you are. Madam VP for our BSP at the national office. So we we got MH, we having a lot of Madam VPs in our show, man. We we coming up, you know what I'm saying? You know, after we're an award-winning podcast, man. I maybe our, our town, you know, our book my, gets full, right? My shirt's been tucked in, so we good. <laughs> I'm, I'm real professional. Real professional, real honor. So, Madam VP, you know, tell us about. Um, what BSP means to you. And then like, I mean, our listeners know of it a little bit. We've hit on it before. We actually had John Shoemate on the show. We talked a bit about it, but he didn't take the time. So floor is yours. Yeah, I appreciate that and love it. And EJ, obviously you're an amazing brand ambassador, leader of BSP yourself in the Las Vegas market. So um, BSP, I can attribute that back to early in my career too. And I was kind of lured in while in Cincinnati by one of the two founding fathers and Bruce Wimbish, John Shumate being that second half of the initial brain trust to 
literally bring together a community of black sports professionals when we're talking 20 years ago, right? Like the same kind of conversations we're having now to get us in spaces, doors, or even less than. Um, but BSP is in place to connect, empower, and advance Black sports professionals in the industry. And while we've had a traditional like professional sports focus, we are in place and here for every professionals in the space. And what that means is, you know, there are brands, agencies, entities, entertainment, collegiate athletic space, who are all touching the industry in some um, sort of manner. And we are in a very mobile industry where to transition, elevate, move into your next role and might take you to a new city. So we always encourage um, within the BSP family, right? When you move from one place to another, you're going to have other BSP colleagues in the local market. And that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I was in BSP Cincinnati, transitioned, made the move to Lexington briefly, then to Dallas. And um, in Dallas, got connected immediately with um, BSP colleagues. And we started getting, getting the... Um, chapter rolling even more significant there. And that was my community, right? Out the gate, like friends, colleagues, family. Um, and I mean, BSP is here in an evolution of ways, but um, I don't know how, how much further you want me to dive into details, aspects. Um, the community is the, the intangible um, that I would say first and foremost, that's been beneficial and withstanding for all. Bring uh, the, the the power of networking, and particularly uh, for us blacks in the sports industry. Talk a little bit about that and what BSP has did for your career. Yeah, well, I often talk to varying levels and presentations and enlighten people that the sports industry is two degrees of separation as opposed to six degrees and life, right? Um, as it's smaller, um, we're intertwined. You know how people move in this industry, right? You pick up a phone and call who you know before you do anything. Um, and that's definitely related to getting a job, interviewing, um, getting recommended. And this could be before your initial screening conversa conversation, let alone getting to a job offer. So um having the network to help you get to the door to initial conversation, to have your interview or excuse me, to have your resume looked at, that's typically going to take somebody ushering it and shepherding it in to the hiring manager or the talent acquisition team. So if you're out here doing it on your own, like I did when I started out sending 14 applications a day to teamwork online with, you know, 40 declines coming back. Um, it, and I attribute it back to how I got my job, right? A former coach who knew I was trying to get in recommended I meet with a Bengals employee who they were recruiting to be the lacrosse coach at my high school and were just willing to like meet with me for lunch. And that was my interview, right? Like without that connection and that relationship, I would not have been thought of um, in a massive hundred to a thousand pile stack of resumes that sports jobs are so attractive um, you know, everybody wants to do what we do just because it's it's sports, right? Um, you got to find ways to cut through the clutter. And I stand by that today, right? Like if you are applying for roles and jobs and you don't have a connection inside the organization, you need to have 
a conversation with who's in your network to determine who does know them and can give you a great endorsement to help you get visibility. Otherwise, it's unlikely to happen. Oh, that's that's definitely huge. And, you know, uh, a, a big role that BSP and not only that, um, I think how BSP is developing is um, our leaders in our different areas are getting sent opportunities and say, who in your group should we, you know, introduce this to? And I'm seeing that more and more. So, no, that's a definite um, truth. So as far as from the national, right? Um, so we have a national model and, you know, we're in the BSP 2.0, as we as we like to call it on our yeah. calls, um, really developing the, the local model, which I think has just been a blessing. And really kudos to you, you guys in North Texas, because you guys really created that blueprint and shown how effective it is. So yeah. definitely, you know, applause <clears> to you and the team down there. But is there anything you can share with us as far as what uh, national has kind of coming up? Because we've been taking amazing strides um, mm -hmm. in the national. I mean, just for like what we did at the, the draft in Cleveland last year. Yeah. So uh, can you share anything of maybe what's in the works? Yes. First and foremost, shout out to BSP and TX in Dallas. Um, and that is one of the competitive advantages to working with BSP, right? And when I say that, like the membership piece, um, it's unparalleled for, for why our members are a part, right? It's a professional development. It's the content we're delivering. It's the network. It's the exposure. Um, <clears throat> we're that valuable resource that teams, organizations look through when they're going to hire, like from a sourcing perspective. But when it comes to national in general and, you know, the membership fees that individuals are paying, um, we're delivering um, at all your temple events, those national platforms and um, all-star weekend, for example, you mentioned the NFL draft. We are bringing collective um, groups of individuals together there for networking opportunities. Um, we're also in conversations with the major sports brands and league offices for formal um, sponsor and partnership conversations. Um, working a lot with various agencies and search firms to really refine how we'll be partnering together going forward. And we see all these things to be beneficial to the members tied to what they need. Um, and that's really the goal of the national office, right? We don't exist without the chapters and the members. So the decisions we are making are to serve what our members need, um, what they want, what they say they seek, um, and thus finding partners who can help us deliver on that. On top of the, you know, the staple community building and the events and bringing people together, which I think is our, our bread and butter. Mm -hmm. um, so always thinking for ways to have conversations on how partnering makes sense. Um, you know, really evolving the BSP brand as we continue to build on 2.0 with our formal um, nonprofit um, status. And I mean, I, I think we're still just in the beginning, despite this organization being in place for 20 years before it was popular, you know, this past year with uh, quite a few we've seen popping up across the world. Um, you know, we've been tried and true. And despite it being in a grassroots uh, perspective consistently in the past, BSP is still here and um, we're constantly growing and have a national footprint in 17 different cities with um, about eight to 10 in the works going forward. That's amazing. So a lot of um, things that it's amazing how you've been able to um, correlate everything you do to have almost like that one 
focus, like a connected focus, right? So mm-hmm. how are you, you know, and, and I'm still BSP, but just talking about um, diversity in general, where are we at as far as pay? Um, I've always heard you talk about asking for your worth and things like that. Where does that come in? Because I think it's the hardest. Th- well, I'm going to speak for me. It's the hardest thing where, you know, you're looking for a job or you're in between opportunities, especially in this, you know, this COVID world um, where you're looking just to get on. And you don't want to I don't want to say settle. But what's that balance between asking for what you're worth and then even on the female side, mm-hmm. right, getting paid, you know, equal pay. Right. Like that initiative is still behind the ball. Yeah. Um, we should probably schedule another call for all of <laughs> we'll get you in the locker room and talk about that. Then. That's <laughs> no, I think what it starts with is, is two things. What like one, knowing what your worth is and, and that is associated with like where you are currently at from an experienced career standpoint. And then also what the market is paying. Um, and you need to be really taking in multiple resources um, in your geographic area um, and measuring it against other employees and roles in the market globally, locally, um, with your current experience and the responsibilities, because that information is out there. Um, And you should be leveraging like different platforms to type in pretty, pretty easy things, whether it's like the LinkedIn salary or CNN money, which also gives you some support around, um, you know, relocating and how much more you should be asking. Um, Not just, you know, let's say that 20% increase you want in that next job um, or you need in that next job to make a move, but also taking into account I'm moving to San Francisco and it's or New York City, um, 135% more, you know, cost of living. Yes. And because like, people are paying it. And the one thing that I wish they told me before I had this grand idea to get into sports is we don't necessarily compete with the market in an equitable way across the board and portfolio. And that is not a secret. Um, And because typically, the demand for our jobs and roles have not decreased. They've continued to pay peanuts and have seen no need. They throw out the brand of their organization and say, we're this team, we're this person, so we can find somebody else. Um, I'm hoping with, you know, this getting some further visibility and conversations tied to equal pay, um, which will be an evolution and then just the understanding that people are leaving their jobs and realizing their value and what they're not willing to put up with anymore because they just don't have to. Um, we'll start leveling the field and at least having employers um, really stop skimming or like any, any and up um, opening up the pocketbooks, finding different ways to really appease what employees need um, because the other brands and corporations outside of sports are doing that. And people are leaving sports in droves um, to take those jobs. Absolutely. All right. So wrapping it up, we're coming in the home stretch. This is the assist. This is where you get to drop a coaching jewel or a coaching nugget. Um, so it's real simple. Is it uh, maybe some words you live by, maybe a, a quote that you love or something you would tell your younger self? Oh, my goodness. Just one. I'm like, I'm an affirmation person and I'm constantly like feeding myself with. um, Oh, give us today's affirmation. 
Well, today's, well, the first thing that came to mind, and this isn't necessarily an affirmation, but something that I used to keep on my desk is just like, don't tip, which is don't take it personal. And, and that is something that in business, I think is extremely important as you look to enter rooms and talk about what is important, what the work is that needs to get done um, and, and not take it personal. Um, and by that is in a sensitive sensitive way if you're that person like stay focused just stay focused all right mh final words no uh appreciate your time it's been a pleasure uh talking with you and, and learning more about you thank you for jumping on hope to have you back thanks mh <laughs> there you go well hey thank our guest nicole for hopping on and we want to thank you the people for listening i hope you enjoyed the show um we're definitely going to have nicole back into the locker room where we get into the nitty-gritty on some of this uh equal pay and uh you know knowing your worth because it seems like there's some jewels for that but please know we drop a new episode every thursday and remember to subscribe on youtube because visual representation matters if you see it you can be it um also remember to subscribe uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, stay safe, practice gratitude, and know we're rooting for you. Screaming, all us blacks got a sports and entertainment until we even. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. 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 Sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Spat bouts, racks, on handmade new rags. Sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. That's everybody from sports to college class to rap.